Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. like this that we are reminded by someone's absence just how important presence is. Tomorrow is set aside, of course, for us to remember those who have fallen. And I know that some of you are walking into this room with this weekend carrying grief that is triggered on purpose because it's important to grieve. This particular weekend, you've lost family. You may have lost a comrade in arms and you survived and you don't know why and they did not. And you don't know why. But I want to pause for just a moment and pray for that. Lord, thank you for the chance to come into your house and worship. I thank you that we are given this privilege, at least for this era in time, in this nation, to gather publicly. Our worship service can be on Google Maps and it can say that we're open. And we have no fear that we will be surrounded with torches or clubs or guns as my friends have been in their countries where they did the same. We have no fear that we'll be thrown into prison or given an order of execution as friends that I have have been given even just within recent years. But we know that that does not come without a price and we thank you for those who have chosen to serve. But we grieve with you knowing that you are the God of all comfort. The loss of those who have served, whether they were lost in combat or on their way, their heart was to serve. And some of them, we think, why didn't they even get to serve? Lost in training exercises, lost in health concerns in the middle of a training moment. You know each of the stories. We pray for each family member and each comrade in arms that you would be the God of all comfort today and that they would be able to extend comfort to others with the comfort they have received. But most of all, Lord, we give you honor for the fact that you came and you served and you died for on our behalf, for every human being's sake, so that our sins might be forgiven, that we might be set free from the slavery to sin and death. We pray in Jesus' name today that you would speak a word to us that we need to hear, that you would communicate a living word to us that would bring freedom where freedom is needed, joy where joy has been absent, peace where peace has departed. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It's been a full weekend in my household. A lot of emotions running in a weekend like this. Uh, This is graduation weekend for some of you as well. My oldest daughter's graduating this week. She graduated yesterday, Ella. She did so with flying colors. She did. It's also my wife, Holly, and my anniversary weekend. So Friday was our anniversary. It's such a joy to be married to that wonderful woman. She's the better part of me. There's no doubt. Um, I was reminded to this weekend, multiple levels, of what it was like to not have each of those wonderful things in my life. 
I was thinking about my wife before we were married, when we were dating, we'd been dating about nine, 10 months, something like that. Our first date was on Valentine's Day, so this was Christmas break, however that math works out. It was on Christmas break in between two semesters in college, and uh, all I had at that point was email and voice. I didn't have enough bandwidth back then for FaceTime and Zoom calls and all of that other sort of stuff. So every time I heard her voice, I felt a deeper emotional connection and a longing. I wanted to get nearer to her. It didn't feel like it was enough. The longer the phone call, the more I wanted to be in her presence, talking with her face to face. So it was Christmas break. And I remember I drove up from North Carolina, where I grew up, to Buffalo, New York. And there was a wedding that was there. And after the wedding, I told Holly, I'm going to drive over Canada. And I'm going to meet you in Michigan. I want to I see you. That's a lot of driving, if you're not picking up on that. It didn't matter. I wanted to see her like crazy bad. So in the middle of that wedding ceremony, although I couldn't even think about the couple getting married, I just kept thinking, I get to see Holly. I get to see Holly. I get to see Holly. When the wedding ceremony was done and we did the reception, there was a, a snowstorm that had fallen that surprised New York even. Uh, while that ceremony was happening. So the whole wedding party got delayed that night. Nobody got to leave, including the bridal couple. They had to stay in their own little town of White Plains, New York, underneath a blanket of snow. So the next morning when I got up, I let Holly know, and I looked at the weather, and I thought, you know what? It's still snowing, but, you know, it's the north. It's not like the south. You know, in the south, we, we get a quarter inch of snow, and there's not a loaf of bread. There's not a jug of milk on any shelf anywhere, you know? Go all over Middle Tennessee. Do you have a jug of milk? Need a jug of milk? Up there, they got plows and everything. So I thought, we'll be fine once I hit the main road. Jumped to the car, hit the interstate, going slow. They were covered in snow and packed, but they they were clean enough you could drive. But as I got closer and closer to Buffalo, New York, if you know that geography, lake effect snow hits heavier. And the closer I got, the thicker it got. Windshield wipers going as fast as they could. At one point, I could barely see the taillights of the truck in front of me that I'd been following. The vertical faces of the signs were now covered in snow. Not the the horizontal surfaces at the top, the vertical faces. You couldn't even read where there was an exit. So I could barely see these taillights, and I'm thinking, if it goes like this, I'll stop following them. But otherwise, I hope they know where they're going. So I followed them as close as I could without being afraid of hitting them. They started to veer off to the right. I didn't know if the highway veered off to the right. I didn't know if they lost sight. I didn't know if they were going into the woods. I just followed. I hope they're local. Followed them off the road, off the side road, and then down this, what I thought was just a little hill. I thought, I hope this is a paved hill. I don't even know. It it had turned into a big white screen. It was literally white out conditions. Pulled into what I found out eventually was a bar's parking lot. Walked into the bar, 20-year-old young man studying for the ministry. uh, Didn't know what to do in that space. Walked in, sat down back in a a corner and ordered a Coke. Rough-looking guy came up to me. I thought I was about to get carded. I was going to tell him, it's just a Coke, dude. I'm, you know, just getting a Coke and nachos. I don't have anywhere else to be. This is it. He says, you, were you driving that little car that was following me? And I was driving a Ford Escort at the time. I said, yeah, yeah that, that was me. A little car inherited from my parents. He said, I don't even know how you made it here, man. I don't know either. <laughs> I'm glad I did, you know. I don't know how you made it. It's illegal for you to be on the road right now. You know that? I said, no, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. He said, no, not not sorry. There's a driving ban. I don't care. You're just not supposed to be on the road. He told me to look around the room a moment later. He said, look around. You notice who's here? And I was like, just a bunch of rough looking men. I have no idea. I I, I was not going to get beaten up. Well, you know, what's the problem? Somebody mad? Every truck in the parking lot had a plow on the front. He said, the reason we're all here is it's now illegal for us to be on the road. You were out driving when it was illegal for snowplow drivers to be driving. 
He goes, sorry, I just want to see my girl. <laughs> Stayed there for three hours watching the weather. The whole time, I just looked at that one TV, watching the weather, watching the weather, waiting for that little thing when the driving band lifted. When the, plow, uh, the snow plow drivers uh, got their driving band lifted, we'd become friends. They bumped over back and forth. You know, you're stuck in a bar together. They found out I was studying for ministry, and they kind of fought over who would plow their way for me to the hotel. This guy said he was mine first. The guy I followed in, he followed me in. I'm going to plow him over. So he plowed me all the way over to this little cheap hotel. I threw down the 50 bucks, went into the room, sat on top of the bedspread, didn't even fold it back, turned on the weather because I wanted that driving band to lift. Two hours later, the driving band lifted and I grabbed my unpacked, my, my unopened suitcase. I didn't unpack it. Left the room just like I found it. I didn't touch anything. Paid 50 bucks for a room I wasn't going to use. Walked out the door, got into my car, didn't care. Drove across Canada to see Holly because I was going to see my girl. And that was the first night I'd ever said, I don't throw these words around easily. It's the first night I ever said those three words. You know them. I love you. Not Jesus. Come on now. This is not a spiritual moment, Sally. We're, we're not to the spiritual moment yet. You got to wait for that. No, this is just narcissistic me talking about my girl. I loved her so much. I longed to be with her. It hurt when I wasn't with her. And I recognized by her absence how much her presence meant to me. It's the same, by the way, for me with my daughter thinking about her leaving for college. There won't be a day that goes by when I don't go by that piano and miss our piano lessons. That chair where she still sits on my lap. She's 17. I don't care. Sit on my lap. Put your head down here. I'm going to miss that. When I go on a walk, I'm going to miss her walking with me. When I'm mentoring somebody in ministry, I'm going to miss mentoring her in ministry. There's going to be an aching. I've already got flights scheduled out to get out there to Seattle. I don't, you know, God called her to Seattle. I did not. She's going to school there. I did not. I said, Nashville, Nashville. There's plenty of good schools here. God doesn't know what he's talking about. You go pray again. You tell him it's Nashville. Because when we love someone, we ache and long to be with them when we're not. Paul felt that. He wrote to his disciple, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1, verse 4, recalling your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Do you see that? Recalling your tears, probably at their departure from one another, recalling your tears, I long, and the Greek word is an aching, painful yearning, I long to be with you because if I am with you, I will be filled with joy. Something about Paul's presence with Timothy was revealed to be extremely important to him by Timothy's absence from him. So he sent out what he could, a letter, but he knew it wasn't enough. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. And that's not just with Timothy. He writes something very similar to the Philippians. In Philippians 1.8, he says, for God is my witness how I yearn, same Greek word, painfully ache and long with all affection of Jesus Christ to be with you. He wants to be with them. He longs to see them again. If you read the context around there in, in Philippians chapter 1, you'll see that this is a pattern for Paul. He doesn't just engage people in ministry, engage people in discipleship, say, job done, praise be to God, they, they, they uh, graduated from PSD, Paul's School of Discipleship, let's just pass them off. 
No, there was a longing and a yearning in him for what spiritual family gave him when they were present together. Presence does something for us. Uh, A neuroscientist who wasn't doing it for spiritual reasons, but was doing it for scientific reasons in 2020, she's from MIT, her name is Livia Tomova, did a research, um, a research project just a couple years ago, 2020, on the effects of social isolation and then social cues. In other words, she isolated 40 volunteers socially, no human contact. Then did brain scans while they saw pictures of, and images of social interaction. And their brains lit up on the brain scan in what some people call in the vernacular the craving center of the brain. It's the same place that if you've been fasting, remember our week of fasting that we started out the year with in January that some of you did? Some of you just, you know, week of prayer and fasting, some of you just decided to do the prayer. Appreciate that. If you're like, I don't know about that fasting thing. You know, bless all those who did it. I'm going to keep eating my food. But if you actually fasted, Did you notice how you craved and yearned for certain things? That part of their brain, the same part of their brain that lights up for food when you're hungry, lit up for them for social interaction. I remember hiking on a trail in Colorado. I think we did 125 miles on the Colorado Trail, 130, somewhere in there. Just straight. And all we had was shakes and Cheez-Its and dry food, you know, up in the mountain passes and sweating all day long. You're so tired by the end of the day, you don't care that you're sleeping on hard ground. You just sleep good. By the end of that trip, we walked out into Durango, Colorado, straight into a Mexican restaurant. We sat down, and all of us had been talking about food for the last two days straight. So when we sat down at the Mexican restaurant, I'll have a Coke, and somebody else's eyes lit up. Oh, yeah, Coke. Oh, yeah, Coke. All of us ordered a Coke. We drunk the Coke before they came back with the chips. Before they came back to get the order, we'd already eaten the chips and drunk another Coke. And so they filled us up three times before they just brought out three pitchers of water and tried to get us to drink something else. But we were craving that stuff. We each ordered two combos, not one, and it was three o'clock in the afternoon. We'd already had lunch. (laughs) We knew dinner was coming because craving was there. This scientist has realized and noted and, and, and empirically proven you crave social presence like you crave food. Food, presence go together. Presence is food. It does something for us psychologically, socially, spiritually that is like food. It nourishes us. It strengthens us. It gives us something we can't get some other way. One of my favorite psychologists, his name is uh, Marshall Rosenberg, one of my favorite secular psychologists, I should mention that. He's not a Christian. But this is what he says. Your presence is the most precious gift you can give to another human being. In other words, even secular individuals are realizing this, something that the church has been saying for a long time. Listen to some of the needs he says the food of presence fills in you and me. Just listen. I'll just list them. These are the human needs. Presence, when it goes well, fulfills. Belonging, connection, acceptance, affection, appreciation. We're not done yet. Cooperation, communication, closeness, companionship, compassion, consideration, consistency, empathy, inclusion, intimacy, mutuality. We're still not done yet. We're at the letter M. 
He's doing it alphabetically. Did you catch it? Mutuality, nurturing, respect, self-respect, safety, security, stability, support, to know and be known, to see and be seen. I see you. I see you. We actually mean that. And it means something. To understand and be understood, trust, warmth, all from presence. Listen, we're not talking about presence because it's some programmatic concern of the church. We're talking about presence because it's a pastoral concern for your soul. Social scientists have actually tracked the epidemic of loneliness. It didn't begin with the pandemic. Actually, loneliness was decreasing in our society all the way up until 2010. We have it graphed, especially among adolescents, by the way. Next Gen Sunday, there's a graph that shows it decreasing in a sharp line all the way down to 2010, and then it spikes up twice as fast as it was descending. What in the world happened in 2010? Now it's correlation, I can't prove causation, but you, both, you and I both know what happened around 2010. Everybody started getting a smartphone in their pocket and we started calling things social media. It's not social media, it's just digital media. And what it does is it gives you just enough of a touch or a feeling of social connection that it removes just the edge off your craving so you don't push past the barriers to social connection. And then over time, a gradual buildup of loneliness, isolation, anxiety, despair, frustration, hopelessness, disconnection begins to build in your life and we're seeing it in our society. Then when the pandemic hit and all we had left was the so-called social media, We realized how important presence was in its absence. You need presence. You don't just want presence. You need presence, crave presence. Presence is a kind of food. Turn with me to Romans 1, 8 through 11. There's another longing verse from Paul, but the crazy thing about this verse, it's not like Timothy, it's not like Philippians. Paul mentions here that he's longing for people he's never met. Romans chapter 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Wouldn't that be something? For God is my witness. Notice that same phrase. He used that in Philippians. God is my witness. How eagerly I long for you. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son that without ceasing, ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming in person to you. I'm adding in person, of course. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have intended often to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the other Gentiles." Paul is longing. He was craving for relationships that were present but are now absent. Now we hear that he's craving for some kind of presence with those who have never yet been present in his life. Because he's learned by now that spiritual family gives him something new every time. 
Sometimes when I say yes to going someplace that I've not been before, no, every time, about two days before I start complaining to Holly, I say, why am I doing this? Why did I say yes to this? I don't want to leave you. This is terrible. I don't want to pack my suitcase. Man, 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 man. She eventually, about one day into that, man, 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 would you quit it? You did say yes. You always do this. You do say yes. And every time, two days before you go, you complain about leaving us. You complain about leaving me. And it's right. It's good. You should hate leaving us. But then you go there. And one day in, you call and you tell me how wonderful those people are. And you wish I could meet all of them. And aren't they, aren't they your new best friends? And you wish I could join you there so that you could meet all these people. You have no idea their faith. You have no idea their joy. And you get so excited, then you get sad when you leave. Would you cut it out? <laughs> You need to pray for Holly. I mean, that's kind of the whole message, actually. This is all just a build-up. Say, would you pray for my wife? <laughs> no. Because, yes, there's an aching and a longing to not leave her, but there's also something I have not yet had that's in them. And that's why I initially say yes, but then the ache hits me from leaving her, but then the ache hits me from leaving them, and it's just constant torture and constant joy. Paul is longing to be with those who he has learned through experience have something to offer him he has not yet received, and he has something to offer them they have not received. Now here's my question for you, why don't we long this way for Christian community? Why don't we yearn this way for presence with those who are now absent who were not, and for those who we have not yet been with? Why do we submerge that if it's really there as a human need? And I've got two major obstacles that I thought of this week. Just give you a couple. There's more. Two major obstacles to presence, I think, in our society. First of all, giving and receiving takes time. Have you noticed this? It takes time to actually give and receive. It's one thing to do bumper cars like we talked about last week. That's just a three-minute bump and run. Boom, 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 boom. Out we go. It's another thing for one part of my life to enter into yours and to enough of your life to enter into mine that we actually are so interconnected we lock in together like a trailer hitch. That's a different kind of connection. That takes time. Giving and receiving takes time. And time is the one thing in our society that we ought to have more of that we just seem to have less of every year. Have you noticed? We have a time-saving device in our kitchen that is even really quiet now that does dishes for it. All we do is stick it in there and quietly in the background it washes the dishes. We have a washer and a dryer that makes washing and drying go faster. We, we have a vacuum that makes getting the dust up off the floor. Now, we even have a little random robot that'll bounce like a circle all over the house. We don't even have to push the stinking vacuum. You want to pay the money, you can get the little robot to go bing, 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 like a pinball machine all over your house picking up all the dust. We have cars that get us there faster, farther than we've ever imagined being able to go. Planes that can fly us all the way across the continent in just a day. We can get all the way over there in a day. We used to take months and months and months, and we have less time than we ever had. How is that possible? Think about it. How is it possible that we have less time for social connection when we have more things to save us time than we've ever had? But giving and receiving takes time, and we know that, and so we push against any kind of intentional social interaction, any kind of scheduling. We're scared of, commit, we're scared of one more thing. We're scared of committing our time. We're scared of saying yes because we know time is so short, and we're nervous about it. Why? Here's the second reason. They go together. We prefer checking out to checking in. We prefer checking out to checking in, in our society, in our entertainment-driven culture, we bought into the lie that what we really need to do if we're, if we're tired, if we're tired, what we need to do is check out, I need a little me time. Where's that phone? I need a little me time. 
Oh, I wish they had their life. Oh, don't they look nice? Oh, boy, look at that. It must be nice right there. Oh, I wish they had that. Oh, how, how did I miss out on that? They didn't invite me. Oh, I, I should have said yes, but I didn't. I don't have time. Oh, good thing I got that me time. I feel better. Get a little me time, get a little me time. Oh, come on, where's my teammates? Where's my teammates? Oh, they're killing me all over the place. Where's my team? Come on, that's a terrible game. Let's play again, let's play again. I lost three times in a row. Oh, glad I had that me time. I feel better. Good. It's got to be something on. Got to be something on. Got to be something on. Oh, forget it. Let's go over to Netflix. There's nothing on. Oh, there's got to be something here. Oh, there's got to be something here. I've seen all of those. The rest of them I don't want to see. There's got to be something here. Oh, glad I had that me time. Happened to me two very different uh, situations. I didn't realize till after they happened this week, so I was reflecting on this message even this weekend. Yeah. I had one hour earlier in the week, and I chose to check out. It's been a full week. Family coming into town, party being thrown, house being torn apart. My daughter's graduating and leaving me. Life is awful. <laughs> Emotionally exhausted. I was tired. The end of a long day. Very end. I said, I'm just going to check out a little bit. I went and did a digital thing that I like to do just to veg. 45 minutes later, I looked around and realized the whole house was dark and everybody had gone to bed. And I'd been doing that. I didn't get that one-on-one connection at the end of the day that I'm used to. We'd connected earlier. I, I spent time with each person. But, and so I thought, we're good. But I didn't go to bed more rested. I actually went to bed less rested, and I had a little sadness in me. I didn't feel connected to them, and they were already in their beds, and I wanted to see them, and my wife already had to put in a blanket up. I said, come into bed. Yeah, come in. Just turn off the light. Be quiet. That was one of the moments. Then another moment happened the next day. I had an hour when I dropped off my son for baseball. It's a 20-minute drive. He had about an hour until he'd be done. If I drove home 20 minutes, drove back 20 minutes, well, that's a waste of time. So I went and parked at a gas station, and I don't know, I think this, this was prompted, I don't know why, to pull out my prayer list. I pulled up my prayer list and started praying through all the people that are on my list to pray for, and I'd send a text, and i make a phone call, say, I'm still praying for you. Somebody called me back after I sent them a text. I said, oh, so glad to hear from you. Went through it for a whole hour, for just, just one hour. I went through that entire prayer list, connecting back and forth, connecting back and forth, text coming back in. By the time baseball came, it just flew so fast. I felt rested but I was giving out. I felt full, but I was pouring out. I felt joy even though I was carrying other people's burdens. One hour. One hour. But we have bought into the lie that if we'll check out, we'll feel better than if we check in. Well, Paul is writing this letter to those that he can't be present with, the book of Romans. So we heard that presence is food for those of those we can be present with, but what do we do when we can't be present yet? I wanna give you some thoughts. Number two, if you can't be present, presence is food, but you can't be present. Number two, don't wait to communicate. Paul is doing our version of making a phone call, sending a text, doing a direct message, getting on a FaceTime. This is the closest he can get to them by sending a letter and giving some, give it to someone personally and sending it to them. If you can't use any other means, if you can't use physical means, use any means you possibly can. I understand that there, there is a digital connection there and it's not quite the same, but do something. Don't wait to communicate and in your communication, try to keep setting up that personal presence. Don't wait for it. Keep pressing for it. Don't 
wait to communicate. Even 30 minutes of you connecting with somebody in a real way, not just scrolling and swiping and getting depressed and doing some sort of voyeuristic gaze at somebody else's life. That's not connection. Pray for one another. Reach out to one another. Encourage one another. Celebrate one another. Send a scripture to one another. Connect! so that you are present in each other's lives in some way, even if you're not present in each other's lives in a face-to-face way. And let them know how you long to be present with them. Can't wait to see you again. Love it when you, we can connect. You know, yesterday, um, I was just getting all the stuff together and doing the graduation thing and family coming in and out, and two guys from my Wednesday morning group that I get with every week for breakfast checked in with me. Hey, just call to check in, how you doing? Hey, just call to check in. Hey, here's something that's going on for me. I just need your prayer. Seven minutes for one, six and a half minutes for the other. Looked at the time zone, time stamp. Seven minutes for one, six and a half minutes for the other. It meant the world to me. Just a quick touch in from guys I'm normally physically present with, but yesterday couldn't be. Don't wait to communicate. Number three, pursue presence. Pursue it. Chase it, prioritize for it, fight for it, argue for it, debate for it, press for presence. Your life group isn't working on that night of the week. Find a different night of the week. You were struggling to get together weekly. Get together every other week. You were struggling to get together every other week. Do it once a month. You haven't been together in a while. Get a backyard barbecue. Pull yourselves together. You're not in a life group yet. You haven't found one yet. Figure it out. Ask again. Connect again. Start one, for goodness sakes. If you've been a believer for a while, it may be time you started one. All it takes is you and one person. Go through a purple book together. That's our discipleship follow-up tool. Get them to get somebody with you. You got a life group. But we can't keep disconnecting and checking out and expect our souls to be fed. Can I just tell you something? This doesn't give you all the food you need. It gives you a certain kind of food you need, but not the other kind. You miss this, you'll start craving this. But there's other kinds of food we need. Pursue presence with each other chase it fight for it you know i'm always amazed that there's i think there's some kind of spiritual receptivity we don't even have words for names for yet that when we're together it's like a solar panel of the soul and somebody else's light charges your battery while your light is charging their battery. I don't understand it, but Paul understood it. That is that we may be mutually encouraged through each other's faith. Pursue it. If you don't know how to do it, let me just give you three practical little thoughts. Number one, when you feel empty, check in. This week, you are going to feel empty. At some point during the week, I promise you, you will feel an emptiness or a discouragement or a sense of disconnection. When you feel empty, check in. If you can, just drive over to somebody's house and ring on the doorbell. Wait, Pastor, can we do that in Nashville? Is that legal? Will they put me on nextdoorneighbor.com or whatever that is? Yes, you can actually physically go to a friend's house, sit on their porch, or go in their front room and hang out. It's okay. I'm telling you, this is the least connected town I've ever lived in in my life. 
We're driving all over the place, busy for all kinds of things, and it's hitting me now too. I'm realizing this is an interesting place. We're going to have to fight for presence against the culture if we want it. When you feel empty, check in. If you can't be physically present, make the phone call. Send the text if nothing else. Reach out to those that you know God has put in your life for you to be present with. Number two, prioritize we time over me time. I'm not telling you you can't pull away. Listen, I am an outgoing introvert. In other words, I love people. They wear me out. So I am my own hell. I just keep going and going and going and going, loving and loving and loving until I'm like, I'm in physical pain. Someone show me a dark cave, let me die there, resurrect me tomorrow. And I do it again the next day. I know and I understand the need to pull away. Jesus knew and understood the need to pull away, but do you notice how we came before me every time? He pulled away after the we, not before the we. Prioritize we time over me time and make your me time a little bit more fulfilling than the checkout stuff you've been trying to do. Get in the word, get in prayer, spend time with the Lord. He'll fill you in a way no digital thing ever will. Number three, practice giving and receiving in person. You know, my family at Christmas time, it takes a long time to go through that. We do our breakfast thing, we read the story, then we sit down around a circle and we open presents one at a time. Each person opens a present, they say a thank you in a specific way towards that, for that gift to the person who gave it. Then they say something about the gift specifically that they like. Then we all celebrate that person verbally in a way that's connected to the gift and the giver. Then we go to the next person. It takes a while just to do one round. By the time we're done with the present opening on Christmas morning, it's time for me to make lunch. I always make the lunch. For Christmas, she makes breakfast and I make the lunch. It's time for lunch, it's one o'clock. By the time we're done giving, and receiving. Giving and receiving does take time, but that's how we fill each other up. Some of us are really good at giving, but we will not receive. We'll do this, but we won't do this. Others of us are really good at receiving. We'll do this all day long, but we won't do this. If you don't know which one you are, ask someone who is really honest with you to tell you, and they'll tell you right now, probably just whisper. They'll go, you're a giver. Give, 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 give. You're the gift that keeps on taking every day. Love you, bless you. And by the way, while we're giving and receiving, we want to give good food, not bad food, right? If food is presents, let's give good presents, not bad presents. Do you want to eat bad food? You avoid bad food as as much as you chase good food. We don't want toxic food. That's called poison. If people are running away from you, maybe you need to double check and make sure that you're not a toxic presence. Talking about yourself nonstop is not good presence, that's bad presence. When somebody else asks all the questions and you just answer them, that's not good presence, that's bad presence. When you ask them a question, they say one thing and then you cut in and talk about yourself again, that's not good presence, that's bad presence. When they say something good and wonderful and you immediately say something bad and depressing, that's not good presence. That's Eeyore. Oh, I guess it's going to rain again. Might as well go into my house. People don't want to be around Eeyore. We're supposed to lift one another up, not to press each other into the ground. Be good presence. Practice giving and receiving in loving ways. 
Learn to relate without a screen. And if you're going to go do something together, try to do something that creates a common experience and then connect afterwards. Don't just be near each other watching something else and then say, well, I guess we've connected. No, you haven't. You were near each other. You weren't with each other. There's a big difference. Practice giving and receiving in person. If you are fully present with God and fully present with neighbor in a way that can best be described as love, you've fulfilled all of this. It's the fulfillment of the law. If you are fully present with God and fully present with neighbor in a way that can only best be described as love, you have fulfilled this. But if you are not and have not, you are not and have not fulfilled this. Don't fool yourself with fake presence. Would you stand with me? Lord, thank you for this morning. What a wonderful morning of celebration and all these baby dedications in the first hour and baptisms, baptisms again this hour. Our young people leaving, leading worship in a way that is spirit-led and heartfelt and joy-filled. We're grateful. We're grateful for the riches that you've placed within this spiritual family. Would you give us a craving for what you've put in each other so that we would long to be with each other face to face, so that we might mutually encourage one another and strengthen each other in our faith. Help us to recognize what that craving is when it comes. The enemy's gonna wanna redirect it to something else. Help us put it where it belongs, being fully present with you and fully present with each other.